Welcome to the Dildorks Dorky Discourse on Sex, Dating, and Masturbating. My name is Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist, a sex blogger, and I like to be a footstool from time to time. Who are you, friend? I'm Bex. I am a sex educator and porn maker, and honestly, being a fuck toy is probably my favorite flavor of objectification, <laughs> which is just a is just a very different energy from footstool. <laughs> just took this in a very different direction this afternoon, but that's okay. <laughs> The fuck toy and the footstool. It sounds like a fun, like, kinky morning radio show or something. <laughs> it does. That's that's the alternative title for this podcast. <laughs> I don't – yeah, I don't know. I like being both of those things. Um, yeah. Well, we're talking about objectification, and uh, we did an episode two weeks ago where we went into, like, a pretty in-depth philosophical discussion on the different types of objectification – um, mm-hmm. and we were just so involved in that conversation that we didn't get to answer a lot of the listener questions we had gathered. So we're going to answer some of those questions today. People have a lot of things they're wondering about objectification. Um, this first one is pretty general, probably something a lot of people are wondering about. Is mm-hmm. objectification inherently tied to degradation? And if not, how might one approach an objectification scene that is centered more on praise? Yeah, I, it is definitely not inherently tied to degradation. I think this is something we have talked about, if not last week, just in general on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know f- for me in particular, I often describe when I want to be like objectified, I still want to be your favorite object is the thing. Yeah. I am... I am a little toy, but I am like your favorite toy. I am a precious, cherished little object. Um, Mm -hmm. So you can obviously, um, much in the ways someone would care for a precious, cherished object, that you can bring that same energy to a scene if your flavor of objectification is this strict, like, I am going to make you into a thing. Whether Mm -hmm. you are this pretty little doll, or you are this piece of furniture, or you are my favorite sex toy, or whatever. Um, I think you can also incorporate, if you want to, um, a degree of um, uh, almost like worship into if you are objectifying, particularly someone in a dominant position, but that doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But they can be an object of worship or something that you are particularly devoted to, which would involve a lot of praise. Mm I think in a more submissive role, um, I'm thinking something like maybe not a toy, uh, but because a pet's not quite right, but something like a somewhat sentient toy, I don't know, robot, alien type thing. um, Or my angel, my little angel. Yeah, um, but things like that, um, mm-hmm. if you are a thing that is precious and cared for and um, doted upon and has enough sentience to receive that, um, certainly mm-hmm. could be a thing. Uh, but if not, you can still be cared for in the way, like, I'm thinking of the way a collector is really precious and cares for the their like most prized possessions and we'll take it out and clean them thoroughly and dress them you know 
whether it, I'm picturing like a doll type thing, but you know, uh, decorate them in whatever way makes sense. Um, you can definitely lean into that sort of thing as well. What like that think? guy in Toy Story 2. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I yeah. So there's that, and there is also this porn that um, some <laughs> folks that I know have made called The Doll Maker that is uh, a dominant playing with their submissive doll and mm. really, like, caring for it. And my brain was flashing back and forth between those two visuals in my head, which are... <laughs> shockingly similar and also obviously very different energies it's just (laughs) i'm glad you read that in what i was describing though thanks for that yeah it reminds me also of that porn clip we saw with zara stardust where she's fucking that other girl Mm. with barbie doll legs (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um yeah that brought up a lot of thoughts for me um one of the things is like you know if you are a person who thinks of being objectified as inherently degrading like Mm -hmm. maybe that's just how you feel about it and like maybe you don't want to be objectified um Mm -hmm. i think that even scenes that are focused on praise if they're objectifying and if you don't really like that feeling of being objectified like might still feel like degradation to you and like that's okay you don't have to Mm -hmm. do it um but another thing that i was thinking about is like you know we often counsel people to ask their partner like what kind of feeling do you want to get out of this scene how do you want me to make you feel and Mm -hmm. I think it's a useful question here as well to ask, like, what kind of object do you want to be treated like? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, the way someone treats, for example, a $900 sex doll versus one that they picked up for 50 bucks at, like, a discount shop or, Mm -hmm. like, the way that someone treats, like, uh, like a, you know, vintage antique footstool that they've been passing through the generations versus like a cheap shitty one that they picked up somewhere like on the road. Like, you know, you're going right. to approach that very differently. And as a person who likes being objectified, I think it's also useful to think about like what object feels the most like you. Like when I think about this, I kind of think of like a stuffed animal that's like a kitten or mm-hmm. something like that. Like I want to be petted and I want people to think I'm cute but also like kind of dumb. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of my <laughs> kind of my vibe when it comes to objectification. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that makes a lot of sense given like the f- other flavors of submission that you have enjoyed, right? It seems mm-hmm. to lean on this like, no, you are cute and cared for and doted upon <laughs> and like not really responsible for having all that much agency in the world. Yep. Love to not have agency in kink. Ooh, that's the good shit. <laughs> Some good shit. Yeah. Uh, to be clear, I mean, not having agency in this scene, not having, uh, not not lacking agency in my kinky relationship, obviously. Right, Consent. right, right, right. Um, I just feel like I got to say that. Uh, we think critically about these things. Listen to the last 500 episodes or so. I promise. We're clever. It's fine. We like being dumb and having no agency. Yeah. <laughs> um, the next question was, can being used slash degraded affect your self-esteem negatively? And it definitely can. I think that it's important mm-hmm. to know that about kink in general. Like, it definitely can make you feel shitty about yourself. I think the main thing is, like, lots of reassurance before and after. Uh, you might not want to do reassurance during if that's not part of your fantasy. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, Lots of pre-negotiation to make sure you avoid any things that you know are triggers for you, like body parts you don't want to have commented upon or whatever. And then like Mm -hmm. lots and lots of aftercare. Um, And a huge part of aftercare for objectification scenes is like aftercare that reminds you that you're both people and, you know, compassionate Mm -hmm. people who care about each other and aren't trying to like use each other. What Mm -hmm. do you think about this? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I also think it's important to do a little bit of work on your own. Uh, And to be clear up front, this is not advice that I only give to people interested in humiliation. But, (laughs) slash and, um, I think (laughs) that it is important to do a little bit of work on your own to explore what is drawing you to this and why this is the story that you are wanting to play out in your play. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Just kind of dig into it to make sure that these aren't, you're not reinforcing things that are like deep rooted stuff that you do believe and that like hearing from the outside is just reinforcing and making feel more true. Um, Mm -hmm. I think humiliation is a really great way to explore the things that scare us um, or that we worry about being true about ourselves, maybe, or things that we have believed to be true in the past, right? Um, Like, there are a lot of ways to play around with our dark, scary bits through play like humiliation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... I do think you want to be conscious of that because I think it's also easy to... uh, Play out, play out stuff that is less than great for our brains, um, and rationalize that for ourselves. Because I've like I can certainly look at ways that I've played with kink and been like, mm, maybe you were just creating a better story there. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think it's helpful to explore why these are the buttons that you want pushed, and make sure that there's not some stuff to like work out on your own there when you're playing with this. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm not a fan of the, as we've talked about, the traditional wisdom of like, you got to love yourself before you can love anybody else Mm -hmm. or be loved by anybody else. But I do think that having a certain measure of solid self-esteem is very helpful when it comes to objectification and humiliation. Um, I'm sure that you don't like need it. So I don't want people to feel like they can't do it if they're just not at a place where they're feeling that way yet. But Mm -hmm. uh, it helps. It helps a great deal. Right. And like, yeah, to be clear, I'm not saying that you have to feel great about all of the things that you are playing with with humiliation. Mm -hmm. However, I do think it's probably pretty healthy to be able to say, hey, these buttons are a little more intense than these other ones or this pushes some stuff and I actually know what it's tied to about these experiences in childhood and this thing that happened, you know, uh, with my, like, first partner or something, right? Like, Mm -hmm. to be able to point to experiences in your life around why these are fun, humiliating things to play with or to, like, talk about your relationship to being humiliated about these things, um, Mm -hmm. I think that's important, that you have at least some understanding of where you are coming to this from, Uh, Mm -hmm. so that you can also look at when you're playing with humiliation and point to the things that you're like, hey, I'm not ready to play with those yet. Like, maybe one day that would be a fun, exciting thing to explore, but like, there's still some stuff to untie over there, so I'm not (laughs) not poking it with a stick just yet. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of like a lot of the stuff that I've done in therapy 
has been examining things that trigger or upset me and going, okay, well, what from my past does that remind me of? Like, where do I think that I learned that response? Why, like, mm-hmm. what is that bringing me back to? And I think that that's a good thing to think about in the like days after an objectification or humiliation scene that like kind of went awry or just like didn't make you feel good for whatever reason. Um, like, what did that remind you of? Um, like, an example of a time that this happened to me was like, I was doing a role play with my partner where they mentioned that they had like read my journal and seen in my journal that I had said I had a crush on them or something. And I was like mm-hmm. kind of triggered in the moment and like didn't really know why or like what was going on. And then later I was like, right. oh, I've actually had people read my journals before. And it was like a huge breach of trust and like kind of traumatic. So like probably something that I don't want to have brought up in scenes. But it's like I never would have known that if I hadn't stumbled across it. Right. Right. We touched a little bit on aftercare, and I wonder if we can go into a little more detail about mm. that. Like, how are you approaching aftercare differently for a scene that involves objectification or degradation? I think, well, first of all, I think if your partner isn't. So I am a person who goes nonverbal in many scenes, but I think objectification scenes tend to uh, probably encourage that, to bring mm-hmm. someone to a particularly floaty and meditative and quiet flavor of subspace, a particularly internal flavor of subspace. So I would start by counseling you to have fairly low expectations for the submissive that you're caring for, bringing them out of the scene. Um Talk to them beforehand and see if y'all can come up with a plan together on how they would like to kind of come back to reality a little bit, because this is what aftercare is. It's it's bringing them in for kind of a smooth landing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, figure out what, you know, have those plans set up in advance. And of course, this advice isn't exclusive to objectification, but I do think it's particularly poignant here. Um hmm I would also uh, come back to what you were talking about earlier with reassuring um, and like words of affirmation, uh, the kind of language that can help someone remember um, that they are loved and cared for and um, valued in the dynamic and relationship in whatever ways that like, again, you've talked about beforehand that they may need to hear, particularly after the ways that you've been playing, um, especially for something that plays with degradation. Uh, What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, I found it helpful to receive compliments that are specifically related to my personhood and not my appearance Mm -hmm. at that time, like that are not something Mm -hmm. that you would say to an object or a doll, like comments on how I'm I'm very um, smart or creative or talented or resilient or um, whatever, like just comments that remind me of my humanity um, Mm -hmm. because, yeah, it can be more jarring than you might think uh, to inhabit the brain space of an object for a while. Like I find this especially with like footstool type scenes more so than more humanoid like doll kind of things as I I really get mm-hmm. to a place where I feel like I'm a rock or something. Like I feel like I have no brain and no capacity for humanity. Um, 
So it's nice to sort of be like reminded that I'm a human. Some other ways to do that are like, you know, maybe we listen to some music that I like or watch a video that I like. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. then I'm watching or listening to human beings doing human things and <laughs> brought back into that world. That's really fascinating. I'm curious. One thing that's coming to mind for me that I think might be helpful um is hearing that I had done a good job, that I had seemed objecty mm-hmm. enough, because it does feel a little bit like breaking out of a role play. And often after role plays, I need to be told because, like, it's it feels like the first time I'm kind of breaking character and no longer pretending <laughs> to be a footstool. So yeah. you can say, "Hey, I know you were like pretending to be a footstool, and you're like <laughs> you were a good one, right?" Because for the first yeah. time, we're kind of us again. Um, so mm-hmm. for me, I think that validation of like wow you were such a good insert object here and you serve so well at that would feel good but I noticed you're talking Mm -hmm. a lot about wanting things that ground you in humanness is that the kind of compliment that would be helpful right after a scene or is that something you'd need to hear maybe later I mean I certainly think you can do both like you can say Mm -hmm. you were such a good little footstool for me but now you're gonna you know be a person again Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I tend to prefer the object-based compliments like the following day or something. Um, okay. Yeah. But, you know, it's really dependent. I think that, like, most things that are written about aftercare would, would just apply to objectification as well. Like, a lot of it yeah. is just about reminding your partner that you value them and do not actually view them in whatever negative way it may have seemed like you do in the scene. You may also find it helpful to turn to some of the things you might use after a rope scene, particularly if you are, we are the kind of object that like hasn't moved for a mm-hmm. length of time, right? So right, we might have stiffness in joints mm-hmm. or um, like their, their body might need care if they have been holding a particular position for a long time, especially if it's a stress position. Um, mm-hmm. so that is also helpful to think about, like, can you maybe rub their shoulders or back while you are telling them what, it, like bringing them back into that humanness or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe ask them about like what parts of their body are uncomfortable or painful. Cause I think it can be hard to like verbalize that at that point, but that's definitely true. They may have also gotten to a point where like they have not totally disassociated but like I don't know part of the headspace of objectification is not thinking about the parts that are uncomfortable because my task Mm -hmm. is to be uncomfortable and to learn to tolerate that discomfort Um, and that is not the only way to play with objectification but it certainly is a way and I think a somewhat popular one Um, so Mm -hmm. I think it is um, like it can be helpful to pose the question because I'm thinking of a line in a Neil Gaiman book I read recently uh, that is basically (laughs) he didn't know the answer until he was asked it, which is like such a feeling Mm. like, oh, no, yeah, I didn't know that. Like, no, I I knew the knowledge after you asked me the question. I didn't know that it existed beforehand, though. And in in the instance, it's magic, but I've definitely (laughs) felt that. And I think this might be an instance like that where like someone saying, Oh, where are you stiff? Oh, I can be unstiff. I am a thing (laughs) that can fix that. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 And they also on that note, they may want to do some stretching or 
whatever types of exercises or movements are going to help with any kind of stiffness that that has occurred. And also I'll say, this is like pretty basic kink safety 101, but if at any point during your play you start to have like any numb or tingling body parts, like, you know, circulation being cut off type thing, that's a situation where I would recommend that you yellow or like, you know, try to readjust because there can definitely be medical issues if you like leave that for too long and uh, and it's a sign that you can't really sustain that position for much longer. Mm-hmm. On that note, um, one of the questions we got was what types of actual physical objects are best to make someone into? And I was thinking about this and I was like, I feel like the footstool thing, like one of the reasons it's so popular, of course, is that you're like literally under the person's feet and it's like got this very like dominant submissive imagery to it. But I think another Mm -hmm. reason that it's so popular is that it's a position typically that you can sort of sustain, like whether you're bent over or like kind of in like a child's pose or something like it's for a lot of people's bodies it's relatively easy to sustain compared to a lot of other things you could be doing mm-hmm. and um it doesn't require much in the way of muscle strength the way that it might if you were like holding a drink up for half an hour or whatever mm-hmm. um but what else comes to mind for you for good objects to make someone into yeah agreed on the footstool for the sustainability but i also think the positioning is quite good for the headspace. Um, Mm. like there is, I've heard a lot of talk in particularly rope circles about how like wanting to make someone feel ashamed, you can tie a hand over their face and it will literally (laughs) like, and just the body keeps the score. Yeah, exactly. Like holding (laughs) someone in positions of like curling them up or hiding their face or like rope over faces can create certain head spaces of that's like, like the opposite of power poses that's so interesting <laughs> yeah it's it's really fascinating um but i i think of that when i think of footstool as well because it is this very like curled hunch over you're very internal your face is kind of protected and buried into the ground like it is a very submissive headspace and very easy to get to that like internal thing like place yeah it's Um, it's introspective it's like a prayer position almost yeah exactly and you're able to be very interior and somewhat protected Mm -hmm. um yeah so i think i think the positioning for that is really excellent if you want to broaden it out though i think the the thing where i would start from if I were brainstorming objects to turn someone into, are objects with a purpose, objects that do a thing. Um, mm. So, like, a you know, uh, a, an end table or something that would hold a drink or hold a book, right? Um, but mm. maybe even a music stand or maybe a stand for a cookbook, right? Like, someone Mm. that will sit here and hold a thing for me. Um, maybe they are a tripod for my camera, right? Um, something because like even particularly with that turning someone into a tripod i'm like oh i have such an increased flexibility with their arms versus fiddling with this metal thing so like having a Mm -hmm. human version of it even makes it more useful Mm -hmm. um so like i i would start down the thread of use like how many objects do i encounter and actually use regularly and what would Mm -hmm. it look like to replace that object with a human um and if you can find things that would genuinely make your life easier to have a human there for like i think those are a gold mine 
Um, and then separately, uh, you have other things that you're like, okay, well, I could put, I could put a human here in that. Um, I would also think about things that like allow you to pay incidental attention to the <laughs> object. If yeah. that is a thing you're going to enjoy, right? Um, things that allow you to like dote on them or stare at them or touch them and that sort of thing. Um, which is why I think we often think of like the footstool or the end table because we think of the object as being present when the dominant is like relaxing and mm-hmm. just like looking at all like looking at all the luxury things around them, including including this human thing, and just relaxing and enjoying some time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you can also definitely uh create some really interesting scenes by looking at the objects that we use when we are working and when we are getting things done um (laughs) and the ways that having a human to assist us in those things because that's i don't know that is a different energy of object but i think that can be could be really fun to play with too anyway Mm. you can like hear my gears turning (laughs) <laughs> more later so I guess. many ideas yeah. yeah on the more humiliating degrading side of things i have heard mm. of people being a garbage can an ashtray a toilet like there's yes. a lot of different mm-hmm. stuff on that end of things to play with mm-hmm. um and also like this is so obvious it almost goes without saying but like any kind of sex toy like i find that mm-hmm. a lot of people who are into this flavor of play enjoy the thought of being or having a like human sex toy basically whether that's like they're your fleshlight or they're you know an oral simulator or whatever i have also always wanted to be a punching bag (laughs) or like and (laughs) you could definitely like for any sort of pain bottom but you can have punching bag but you also have like any sort of target for assorted target practices (laughs) Which I think could be really fun. <laughs> oh, um, like a humiliation scene where you're like, I need to practice flogging so I can flog my other sub. You're going to be a pillow that I hit with the floor. Right, exactly. <laughs> or like someone could teach another dominant on you. Mm. Or um, I like I am thinking of someone I follow on Twitter who has um, a scene where they are a very heavy masochist and do, like, uh, sideshow kind of masochism as well, so have done a lot of, like, intense piercing and stuff, Um, but they were a target for darts, and they had a target drawn on their (laughs) ass and had assorted darts thrown at them, Um, which obviously is quite on the heavy end of things, um, but... I think there are definitely realities where you can say, oh, I need a target for aiming because I need to practice throwing my toy. I'm not worried about actually hurting you. I'm practicing for, you know, other submissives or, (laughs) um, you know, whatever that looks like. Yeah. A lot of scene ideas in this episode. (laughs) No. Okay. Uh, My next question was about... Dirty talk. This listener is wondering mm. what technique slash dirty talk makes someone feel more like an object. And the reason I was thinking about this was because when I was talking about like human sex toys, like mm. um, it, it's kind of funny when me and my partner do play like this because like 
I am a sex toy reviewer. Like I'm very familiar with like the types of language that people use around sex toys. And my partner is like a lifelong reader of sex toy reviews. So they are very good at like talking about me in that way in the moment. And at one point they like wrote a guest post from my blog that was like a review of a toy, except I was the toy and it was really cute. Love that. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on how to make uh, dirty talk objectifying? I think this depends a lot on the type of object that you are, like we were talking about earlier, Mm -hmm. um, and the language you associate with that type of object. Um, I would also listen to the last episode we did on this and think about um, what kind of traits of objectification resonate most, right? Like, are we talking about taking away your agency? Or are we talking about you are a thing that can be broken, right? Um, because I think that is all going to point in the direction of the language that you really want to lean on, the things that you want to describe, the uh, facets of objectification, I suppose, that feel the most poignant to you. Um, mm-hmm. For me, it is... I react particularly potently to like being talked about in the third person um, mm. or it pronouns. Um, any of that feels particularly objectifying. Um, yep. Anything that is like particularly disregarding my desires or interests or feelings about a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that for me so like whether that is ignoring a thing i express or just like saying that you're going to ignore the thing i think feels particularly objectifying as well um Mm -hmm. what about you anything else coming to mind for you the only thing really is i think that if you are the dom or person doing the dirty talk in this scenario you kind of have to accept in in some of these situations that like it is going to be a little bit weird to do the dirty talk because you are going to be saying things that like kind of don't make sense on the face of them like if you had a footstool there that you were resting your feet on it's not like you were going to be saying out loud like oh i love how good this footstool is it being a footstool it supports my feet so well and helps me relax after my hard day at work like you never say that out loud right but it's like that could be a nice thing for some people to hear. So I think you mm-hmm. just kind of have to embrace like the theatricality of it to some extent. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's a bit of a stage whisper. Like you're not really going to say things that you would actually say in this situation, <laughs> but that's okay. It's just pretend. Yeah. With, as with most kink, except that you're going to be a little silly sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> One listener was just wondering if we want to share any stories of some of our fave objectification scenes that we've done from both sides of the footstool. (laughs) Hmm. I think for me, the biggest stuff that is coming to mind is just uh, the times I have played as um, basically just a fuck toy, like getting used or getting fucked, where Mm -hmm. I am like... I haven't done a ton of play where I am explicitly a particular type of object, which I actually would probably like to do more of. Um, Mm -hmm. I've done a bit of stuff from fantasy there, but like a lot of what I have done is just in taking away my agency um, in like 
DS context and that sort of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Objectifying me in that, like, I am just a person to be sexualized, but in... uh, Objectifying me more in that I am just a person to be sexualized and less that, like, I am a footstool, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I have done a lot of that. I have done... I'm not having a ton of scenes that are coming to mind that are, like, particularly exceptional down that. Like, they're all fantastic, but nothing that stands out. But I am... I would like to do a lot more in the, like, explicitly an object. And I'm also, like, really curious about playing more with the doll stuff that you were talking about. And I'm hoping you have maybe some of those stories to share. Ooh, I mean, I always am kind of hesitant to share, like, stories that involve hypnokink on this show because I understand that it's, like, a complicated skill set that, like, not everybody is just going to, like, put the effort in to pick up. And Mm -hmm. I have – I do think that hypno has been involved in most of my doll-type scenes because it helps me get into that headspace. But, I mean – Certainly a lesson that can be taken from that is, like, the way that you talk to someone, as we were discussing, like, really affects whether they feel like an object or not. So mm-hmm. even if your partner isn't using, like, hypno techniques but is talking about you as a doll and describing, you know, that you're such a pretty doll and how they're going to use you and whatever, like, that can still do a lot, I think. Human beings mm-hmm. are, like, somewhat suggestible even without the addition of hypnosis. Um But what came to mind for me was, since this literally said from both sides of the footstool, I have done like two different footstool scenes that were really fun. Um, One of them was when I was a submissive and uh, my partner and I had talked about it and I was like, I'm really worried that if I am a footstool like for several minutes that I'm going to like get too in my head and just get lost in like a spiral of like depressive Mm. thoughts. Like this is just something that happens to me sometimes depressive or anxious thoughts especially if i don't have anything like to focus my mind or to occupy my mind yeah so the thing that we decided on was that they were going to sit in a chair and put their feet on me and then they were going to read out loud from a book so that we would both kind of like be focusing on this thing yeah so that i had something to occupy my mind and there was also still this sense of like leisure like they're you know sitting there reading this Mm -hmm. book I think that they read to me from Lolita, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. which I love that book. Um, yeah, I was going to say, sounds right. <laughs> yeah, and then another time that we did this where I was the dom, um, my partner had bought me a pair of very, very fancy, expensive shoes as part of a fin dom scene. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they arrived, and we were like, oh, what are we going to do with them? Like, we wanted to you know, do something with them. Mm-hmm. And um, they kind of, like, assumed the footstool position, and I, like – put my feet on them in the heels and like scratched up their back a bunch with the heels. Ooh, nice. And then I think I was like playing video games or reading or watching something, just, you know, resting my feet on them. And they've I told me many the times. I of you in like <laughs> fancy heels playing Pokemon. <laughs> yes. This is my brand. This I is just, my gender. <laughs> I just needed a moment to just appreciate the completeness of you Absolutely. in fancy heels with your feet up on someone playing your Switch. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> yeah, I'm out there like defeating the Kalos Elite 4 while wearing <laughs> Louboutins. Like, I t- sometimes when I do stuff like that, I do wonder, like, am I the only person who's ever played this game while wearing this brand of shoe? Like, possibly. <laughs> I while, while resting them on someone's back? 
I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of nerdy, kinky people, so it's hard to say. Right. And I will say there's probably a pretty high instance of, like, of all the shoes that spend time on people's backs, Louboutin have got to be up there. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's true. (laughs) Yeah. um, So my partner has, like, a very high-powered job. Like, they're Mm -hmm. basically a co-CEO of their company, which is a very Mm -hmm. successful company. And so... They've told me that they find objectification really helpful as a sub when they've had like a really tough time at work, like especially when they've Mm -hmm. had to make decisions all day, like really important decisions that are affecting people's livelihoods. Like that's a lot of mental energy to expend and it can be really nice to just be a footstool after that. That's completely understandable to me. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. A thing happened that I always love when this happens on this show, which is we had two listener questions, which were basically like, what about this thing and chronic pain? And then what about this thing and trans stuff? So it's like one for each of us. Um, Amazing. Yeah. So uh, a listener said, uh, how can objectification impact feelings of dysphoria? And they were asking as someone who finds it healing in that way to, to do this type of play. Yeah, absolutely. I think there is... I mean, there is something interesting about, and we've kind of touched on this, about your relationship to your body when you are an object, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like I'm inhabiting my body in almost a different way. Um, My body doesn't feel quite like the meat suit that I have to move through the world in all of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And it allows me to kind of rewrite the narrative I have about my body in that moment, right? Like we're talking about this earlier. We're able to get into this headspace where this isn't my meat suit. This is a footstool. I inhabit a footstool and that is what I'm feeling in this moment, right? Um, And the thing is, like, a footstool didn't have tits that I needed to cut off. It was just a footstool. (laughs) It's like, it was fine. (laughs) It's the thing. Um, So I think, A, it gives me a slightly different uh, way to inhabit my body um, and a way to experience my body. Also, no one is walking around and being like, look at that lady girl footstool over there. That feminine ass looking girl lady (laughs) footstool. Like, that's not... Right. That's such an interesting <laughs> point because it, its pronouns are, like, not really gendered. <laughs> right? Like, it's not... It is just not even a thing that I am thinking about. Mm-hmm. And certainly there are... There were points in my transition where it felt like a fucking blessing to not think about my gender. Like, I am at a point where mm-hmm. there are days where I just don't think about my gender anymore, which is wild. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, there are times where, like, being able to be a footstool for a little while but be a retrie- reprieve from that, which is mm-hmm. uh, really nice. I think, and in addition to, like, creating this own new narrative for myself around my body in that moment, I'm also able to see myself through the eyes of the people that I am playing with, the ways that they are describing this footstool. I'm able to see myself in the ways that I am being useful to them. Um, and obviously the mm-hmm. footstool is just the example. Like, there are a million ways I can do this. But I can see myself as the object that I have created to serve them. And I can see myself through their eyes as something that is helpful and desirable and um, uh, sexy or beautiful or cherished or um, even a disgusting little heap of (laughs) non-gendered trash. Like, that's fine too, right? Um, But I'm able to inhabit 
this other thing and have that be reinforced by the people that I am playing with, which is Mm -hmm. relaxing and powerful. Hmm. So what about this thing in Chronic Pain? (laughs) Yeah, um, (laughs) it's really tough. Well, first of all, I just want to say that was a great answer. Thank you for your your insight. I don't want to not acknowledge that. (laughs) (laughs) Appreciate Um, it. Yeah, it's a tough kink to play with sometimes with chronic pain, especially when we're talking about actual physical objects where you have to hold a certain position. I Mm. would say um, think about a position that is maybe your most comfortable position. Like if you were really trying to get comfy um, and not feel like feel minimal pain in your body, what position would you get into? And then maybe try to build a scene around that. Um, Mm. So something that I don't know if I've done this, but I would do this um, is like, you know, there are times when physically I just can't really sustain like a footstool type position. But maybe if I was to lie on the floor with pillows underneath my hips and my head, uh, I could possibly sustain that position for a longer period of time and have my partner put their feet on me. And it's like, you know, I'm not strictly footstool shaped. Maybe I'm more like a rug or something, (laughs) but uh, Mm -hmm. it's it's close. Um, But then the other thing is like, for me, part of the this type of play, especially being a literal object, is that there will be pain. And that is part of kind of what I'm signing up for when I do this type of scene. Um, it's something that I talked about with my partner beforehand. I was like, I know that this is going to be painful for like my hips and my knees and other parts of my body after just, you know, a minute or two. And I'm kind of wanting that kind of thing today, uh, that the type of pain where you are having to sort of just like breathe through it. Um, and be like, okay, I can get through the next five seconds. I can get through the next 30 seconds. And, um, I will say that this is also the scene where my partner was reading to me and I did find it really useful that they were reading to me because then I wasn't just sitting there thinking about how much pain my knees and hips were in. Um, so maybe some, a little something to occupy your mind. We often talk about background music being a thing that helps occupy our minds in a helpful way when we're going through a lot of pain. Um, other than that, just like pretty basic stuff that I would generally recommend, like take painkillers beforehand if you're able or afterward, um, maybe some nice massage from your partner afterward would be nice or holding like a, a powerful vibe on the areas that are hurting. It's good to do, you know, a little bit of stretching afterward. Um and I think it's also important if you have a partner with chronic pain to like include that as part of your discussion when you like recap the scene afterward and, and be like, what could have gone better? What went well? Um, be like, you know, how how was your chronic pain part of this scene? And like, is there anything we could do in the future to like adapt for that? Um, I think a lot of people with chronic pain like feel really guilty about bringing it up or feel like they're being annoying by bringing it up. So it's really nice if you can ask them about it. Yeah. I'm also curious, do you think it would be helpful for folks to devise scenes, almost shift the definition of like successfully being an object from stillness to completion of a task, right? Mm, if my ob- if as an object, my job is to make sure that this wa- glass of water is within your grasp when you reach for it, that doesn't right. mean hold this water in this exact spot, Right. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I don't know, maybe it's a robotic end table. Maybe it has an <laughs> adjustable feature. Like, I, if you really need to come up with a story, I trust you to come up with a story why the end table moves. But <laughs> maybe if, it has like a voice command, like Siri, you know, like exactly, you have to say a certain like, phrase to get it to activate. 
Exactly. Um, Whatever your story is, but I think, like, I think letting go of this requirement of perfect stillness um, does not mean that we're letting go of this idea of objectification, but I think it does probably make this a lot more accessible for a lot of people. Yep, for sure. Yeah, my only other thought on that is, like, uh, for people with chronic pain, pillows can be a blessing, and, like, you might just need to throw more pillows at the problem. Like, that's (laughs) kind of one of my go-to solutions to things is, like, if something is uncomfortable, put pillows in its vicinity, and, you know, it it might be better. So... I know it's a little bit, you know, out of the fantasy to be like, my footstool needs to be positioned on top of six pillows on the floor. But like, you know, (laughs) we got to make it work somehow. This is my footstool ensconced in a cocoon of pillows. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. It's just, it's the cushion on top of the footstool and around. It's fine. It's a padded (laughs) footstool. Yep. One question we got was from a listener who is a black cis man who was wondering about objectification as it relates to race play. And we we're both super, super white. Um, and uh, what I would recommend really is to read stuff by Melina Williams Haas. I know that we recommend her all the time and it's because she's a genius. Um, and she has a book called The Toy Bag Guide to Playing with Taboo which talks about Mm -hmm. race play in quite a bit of detail, including really good info about like negotiation and checking in with yourself about your own comfort with it. Uh, And she also has a podcast now, which is not exclusively about sex and kink, but it's so wonderful. It's called All That M.O. M.O. Would highly recommend that. And also like if folks know anybody who would love to come on and chat with us about race play, like a person of color, obviously, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. feel free to let us know. Um, we we have, uh, I think we've tried to reach out to Melina and I think that she's yeah. just like a very, very busy person. So um, we haven't been able to make that happen yet. But yeah, we are very open to having that discussion and learning more about that. Final question is a listener was wondering what kinks pair best with objectification. And I think like the main ones that we have been talking about in conjunction with this are like humiliation, degradation, which is is a natural fit. But what else comes to mind for you? I think bondage is probably a really great tie-in. And I saw that pun coming. Like I loaded the sentence (laughs) up as it, it, and I still just let it happen. Pun intended. (laughs) 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 Anyway, it's like, oh, <laughs> anyway. Um, I do think bondage is really helpful here um, because it is very easy to tie someone into a particular position. If we are talking about, you know, having someone hold a particular stress position, you can also string mm-hmm. someone up as a sort of decoration. Or, you know, I've seen people tied as like chandeliers or things like that, um, <laughs> where like you can be. Um, you know, a, a decoration or art or something like that um, through the position that you are tied. Uh, I mentioned worship earlier. I definitely think um, objects are very easily worshipped and can be um, cared for, whether that is like explicit religious type play or just mm-hmm. more of an energy of devotion and care over a Mm -hmm. particular object um that is something that can pretty easily tie into this i mean shit any sort of fetish around like clothing types 
and like yeah that's what i was thinking clothing right. shoes materials like anything that can be on the person's body that you can worship or enjoy mhm exactly anything like if you dress them up in that um which like does put us in like the flavor of like bimbification sissification etc mm-hmm. which is like adjacent but could certainly um you could probably do some fun stuff with that Oh, Hypno, you've been talking a bunch about. Yeah, I was going to say Hypno, but Sorry. Before, you mentioned sissification, and I just have to tell you this. I I received a Tinder message from a Dommy, a sensibly cishet guy, Amazing. and we were chatting because he was saying he was into bondage. We were chatting, and we just started talking about Hypno, and at one point he was like, yeah, I love to sissify women for my pleasure. I- and I was like, I've never heard somebody talk about sissification yeah. with regard to cis women before uh interesting keep talking <laughs> i mean like forced feminization sure i don't there's right. not that much of a difference between the two but i don't know thought it was an interesting choice of words yeah i feel like even yeah like i feel like with cis women it is much more often bimbification and yeah and like I am curious, ooh, I would love to talk to him (laughs) if he could, like, about the distinction between a bimbo and a sissy, and if there is a difference for him with cis women. I'm worried that if I was to ask him that question, it would be construed reasonably so as me being like, I think you're using the wrong word there, buddy. (laughs) Fair. No, I'm just... Like, I'm like, no, there might be a thing in your head, but you know what? Like, I'm like, yeah, (laughs) like that, that is a deliberate choice. Did you choose it on purpose? And why? like, keep talking. Tell me everything about how your brain works. (laughs) Yes. But anyway, back to hypno. Yeah. I think that uh, if you are interested in objectification scenes that feel really real, I think erotic mm. hypnosis is a skill set potentially worth learning. And the resource I always recommend for that is the book Mind Play by Mark Wiseman. Mm. Um, it has its issues, but I think it's overall the best introduction to like the very, very basics of erotic hypnosis. Like you'll know by the end of it how to, you know, put someone to, into trance and a few fun things to do with them there. But um, yeah, my partner frequently uses hypnosis to get me into the head state of whatever object-like thing I'm trying to be and Mm -hmm. vice versa and I think it can be really useful for that I will say interestingly uh, Mm -hmm. this is one of the few kinks that I don't tend to blend impact with hmm yeah because why would you hit an object unless it was like an object made for hitting like a punching bag yeah, exactly. Like there, there, yeah, no, that's true. There are certainly fantasies that I have that blend that, but for the most part, the like meditative kind of headspace, like I when yeah. I think of the scene of being a punching bag, I don't think of myself in that object like headspace because that headspace mm. just doesn't feel entirely conducive to taking pain. At least not the kind mm-hmm. of pain that comes with impact. It is made for settling into the discomfort of a position I've been in for a minute, right? It is like almost the meditative place I get in when I've been doing yoga for a minute or something, mm-hmm. right? 
Um, it is about the physicality of discomfort in my body, but it's not about like taking impact from the outside. That's a different kind of headspace, which is interesting because I will usually yeah. combine a beating with most things. Let's be honest. Me too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's everything. Thank you for joining us for this week's very object-focused edition of the Dildorks. Uh, I've been Kate Sloan. I have a sex blog at girlyjuice.net. I have a book out, which you can find at 101kinkythings.com. I also have another book that's coming out in two months. It's called 200 Words to Help You Talk About Sexuality and Gender. It is what it sounds like, uh, and you can pre-order that wherever you get your books. And uh, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at girly underscore juice and i write a weekly newsletter that is sort of like intimate little essays about my sex and dating life at kate sloan dot email where is your stuff i'm bex you can find my writing and information about my workshops at bextalksex.com i teach workshops on zoom at 7 30 p.m eastern every wednesday night so i'd love for you to join me for those you can find my schedule at bextalksex.com or by searching bex caputo on eventbrite I am also very naked on the internet, so if you go to at Billy Lore on Twitter, you can find all of the links you need over there to uh, figure out how to throw money at me and see a whole lot more of my dick. God, it's just it's just all of there's just so much of it. It's just a lot. Uh, together we are the Dildorks. We're on Twitter and Instagram at the Dildorks, and you can find us at thedildorks.com. You can also throw money at us by going to patreon.com slash the Dildorks, and for six bucks a month, you'll get access to our exclusive Patreon-only Discord, and for $12 a month, you'll get access to our Patreon-only bonus episodes, and we just released February's episode uh, today as of recording, I think, right? Yeah, we just released this month's bonus episode. There was some interesting stuff in it about your trip to San Francisco. Um, mm-hmm. I learned a lot about genes bondage. I wrote a story about voyeurism. I was having some voyeurism thoughts. Mm, we were talking yes. about surveillance. Um, there's all kinds of stuff in there. Some nerdy sex toy chat. It's just a very classic Dildorks bonus episode this month. <laughs> it was a good time. That was a good time. Yep. I want to say thank you to our top tier Patreon supporters who we thank every week on this show. Thank you so much to Stabitha Christie, Nat, Tiffany, Argo, Matthew, and Amelia. We really appreciate your support. Thank you also to Protodome, who did our theme song. Thank you to Amy, who did our logo. And thank you to you for listening. Until next time, folks, get out there and live your sexy, dorky life. Bye. Bye. Ooh, fun fact. This mm-hmm. shirt I'm wearing, I have to mail to a fan later, so I have to get it all sweaty, which is why I'm wearing it during a podcast, because oh. I get disgusting every time we record these. <laughs> Me too. I always get so sweaty. I'm always like, what the fuck? I really think that it has to do with the type of energy being expended, because it's mm-hmm. not just the headphones. It doesn't happen to me just from wearing headphones. It's really weird. Yeah, it's not just from wearing headphones. It's not like just from sitting at my... De- I could sit at my desk for hours in this exact spot, but if you put me on 
a like teaching on video does it too or on a co- yeah. um podcast mm-hmm. i get a very particular kind of sweaty and afterwards mm-hmm. i'm like ah, what happened i don't understand but anyway i'm monetizing it today and i thought that was a fun fact it's full of podcast sweat oh <laughs> uh, yeah i always have to like immediately take off what i'm wearing and like go shower <laughs> yes exactly that's what i do <laughs> <clears throat> I teach workshops on Zoom at seven thirty. Get do that one more time. I teach. <laughs> nope. Gonna do that two more times. <laughs> <laughs>